Blessed Lord, we give you thanks that we're able to gather together in this way, in this newfangled way, to study your word and to um, find companionship among the people of God. We pray, Lord, that you would bless our time in your scripture and that um, you would be further illuminating our understanding of um, who you are and who you are for your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, I thought we'd start just um, with the opening question. What games are you guys playing? And part of this is I'm looking for ideas. What games are you guys playing at home to entertain yourselves during this shelter in place? I'll go ahead and uh, um, un, or if you could unmute yourself there and then, or if you just want to put type in the chat as well. What kind of, what kind of stuff are you playing to keep yourself entertained? The TV. <laughs> <laughs> Boob tube. Yeah, Kate. Um, I play Cranium and also card games like Baloney. Nice. And stuff. Spoons. Yeah. Is, spoon. is Cranium, oh, Spoons. Is Cranium, is that like a brain teasers game? It's a board game, yeah. It's a board game? Okay. Nice. Anybody else? Jigsaw puzzles. Jigsaw puzzles. How big? Are you guys like 500 piece puzzles or 1,000 pieces? 1,000. No kidding. Yeah. Okay. That's fun. Cool. Very addictive. Yeah. She's, right. she's, she's pretty good. She can do a puzzle in about a day. Whoa. Well, two days. Right. And <laughs> other things don't get done. Yeah, right. <laughs> what happened to dinner? Uh, uh, oh, good. Hey, Emery's. I'm glad you guys were able to find us. Sorry for the hiccup with the, the password. Um, we played yesterday we played ticket to ride you guys ever do ticket to ride that's that's an awesome game and you you've played oh yeah i played with you that's right um <laughs> and uno uno of course is a old standard anybody else we, we are playing the game i i can't i don't know what it's called but uh it's the game where um you, you eat, everybody takes turns like making small digs or like maybe not and then everybody else try, tries to find a way to take it personally or take offense to that thing that the other person said i don't know what that game is called but we're playing it at my house yes <laughs> called life in our home uh, reality tv show we can sometimes get into some pretty competitive dominoes too right Ooh. nice and Emery's, we've got to figure out a way to play Euchre over, over Zoom. I don't know if, if that's possible somehow, but I, probably, I don't trust Lily not to cheat if we were to do that. So, um, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Um, <clears throat> all right, let's get into Acts chapter 5. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen with the, the handout. And um, if, you, if you guys didn't already get it, I'll uh, provide the link here again. Um, there's the link to it, to the PDF, but I'll share my screen as well um, so that we are all on the same page. Um, and let's go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 5, and uh, we left off with verse 12. So we'll pick up in verse 12. <clears throat> now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, 
that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Okay, so, uh, I mean, it's a fascinating fascinating uh, account, and it just shows, it's another example of, as we've seen already, of ways in which um, the early church is really recapitulating, repeating the ministry of Christ. I mean, it sounds, even the language that's used is very similar to the descriptions that were used of Jesus when Jesus would go out, was ministering to the crowds, and then they would bring, you know, their, their sick and diseased and the lame to him, and, he, and they would be healed. And then you even have this kind of especially supernatural thing, even the, just the shadow of Peter is falling across people, and, uh, and, and they're being healed. Um, now, not without uh, trying to uh, make light of the miraculous, actually just emphasizing the miraculous nature and the, the um, special nature of this healing. Number two on your handout, I say, the season of unstoppable signs and wonders wasn't interminable. Um, and put it that way, because uh, signs and wonders continue to, to go on among Christians, and I would say that they continue to happen today, but not in this sort of unstoppable way where it was just uh, uh, the gospel would come into a new place, and now there would just be these overwhelming, indisputable signs and wonders. That does not tend to be our experience as Christians today, at least not in a, a place where the gospel is already established. There are stories of, you know, when the gospel goes into a new place, that it, it often will be accompanied still with these kinds of uh, supernatural, miraculous signs and wonders. But um, you see this even within the book of Acts. I alluded in the sermon today, if you already watched that, um, to Acts chapter 8. And it says, there, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So already within the book of Acts, we see that there comes a time when the signs and wonders are not able to just kind of continue um, with that force where nobody's able to stop it. Well, they, they were able to. And later in Acts, Paul says, uh, he, he points out to the disciples, verse 22, um, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Kingdom doesn't, doesn't, doesn't just come with irrefutable signs and wonders. It comes through tribulations. And then Paul points out in his second letter to the Corinthians, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So that um, Paul's making the point that those signs and wonders were especially marks of the apostolic age. That is to say, when the apostles were still alive and going around doing ministry. It doesn't happen today, but it happens, I would say, with much less frequency and much less compelling power, um, Christians. But let me pause here for, um, for questions or reflections about those first few verses and about the, the signs and wonders. <laughs> Mom there. And if you got a question, you can also just put it in the chat or raise your hand as well or comment. All right, good. Then I'm going to move along to, uh, I, want, I want to really dig in today. Hey, with Pastor, I have, a, I have okay. a question. So maybe you said it, thank you, Kate, for raising the hand. That's good. <laughs> She's down below here. <laughs> help, 
help. <laughs> Two things you can't do at church you can do on Zoom is right. lay on the floor and goof off. But um, it seems like some church bodies still kind of embrace this more, and they see like it's a sign of the kind of the um, uh, how strong the faith is. depending on how many signs and wonders can be done with their healings, speaking in tongues. You know where other denominations are like, yeah, this doesn't happen. Maybe in the third world countries where we're breaking in, but in our everyday, it doesn't happen. Right. Is that? Yeah, right. So yeah. I, this, this is definitely the fault yeah. line, if, if that's not too strong a way to put it, um, between Pentecostal and some charismatic branches of Christianity and other branches of, of Christianity is that they have, um, they're persuaded that as we see it in the book of Acts, that this kind of, of charismatic presence of the spirit, these signs and wonders continues unabated to the present day. And I would say, well, first of all, I think that that's overstating the case and that that's manifestly apparent from the experience of the church. Um, but then secondly, where it really becomes problematic is what you kind of alluded to, Chip, and we've talked about this already in our, our previous Bible studies in Acts, is when that becomes then a, a mark of a true Christian, that you are bringing forth these incredible spiritual gifts and signs and wonders through you. Um, obviously, the, the most famous one with this respect is speaking in tongues, um, but other things, signs of healing and so forth. Now, as Lutherans, we try to um, toe the line a little bit well, I mean, we're Lutherans, like it's clear nobody's mistaking us for Pentecostals. Um, but we aren't, uh, the technical term for it is supersessionist um, or secessionist. I might be getting that wrong. But there's a technical term for um, some Christians say flat out, this does not happen. It only happened with the apostles and the apostolic age in the early church. And anybody who tells you that it's happening now is a charlatan, a false prophet, and they're trying to lead you astray. I think that's overstating the case. I think that these kinds of things can and do still happen, that miraculous healing is possible and does happen, um, and that even through the, the ministry of, of Christians still today, you can see these sorts of things. But you know, I'll always go back to 1 Corinthians, where Paul has his chapter on these things, and then he, um, you know, to kind of curb the enthusiasm of anyone who's getting too excited about it, then says at the beginning of First uh, Corinthians chapter 13. Um, but let me show you a still more excellent way. And that's his great, uh, chapter on, uh, on love. And so he would subordinate all of these other miraculous gifts to that more mundane gift uh, and practice of love. So, the, yeah, so we, we're trying to keep a both and here, recognizing these things can and do still happen but they don't happen in quite as compelling and constant a way as they did among the apostles. So that makes sense. Cool. All right. Let, let's go on. <laughs> Thank you. Disembodied hand in the may household there. Um, I want to get into the story here because there's a lot to unpack here. And it's really just a, another great um, speech here from the apostles. So start picking up with verse 17 and we'll take it a, a chunk at a time. I want to read verses 17 through 26 in Acts 5. <clears throat> but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak 
and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they didn't find them in prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering this, what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. All right. Uh, so continuing uh, on, on our handout here. So number three on your handout, <clears throat> with echoes of the empty tomb, the apostles aren't held in prison. So this is uh, another just fantastic account of the, the exploits of the early church as they get thrown into prison as a result of their proclamation of the word and really the healings, the ways that the gospel is being embodied in the community. And yet the angel of the Lord comes and sets them free. And then you have um, one commentary uh, had a sort of a dated reference, but I think what they were saying is, you know, it sounds almost like a Keystone Cops episode with uh, all of the, the religious leaders, the authorities. They're running around trying to figure out, hey, what happened to those guys? Didn't we put them in prison? Like, we told them not to speak, not to do this, but they just keep, they just keep continuing. Huh? Um, but what stands out to me with this account is, again, the way that it echoes the account from Easter morning and from the resurrection. So in Matthew 28, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. So here you have an angel coming down, not to roll back a stone, but to open up the prison doors and to set the people free. And also later on in Matthew 28, you had the account of uh, the religious leaders, the chief priests. They find out that Jesus, is, that the, the body of Jesus is no longer in the tomb. And so uh, they give a sufficient money, some of money to the soldiers. And they say, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this trouble comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So you have the same, the same kind of hijinks is happening among the authorities, among the religious leaders, after now the um, uh, apostles are uh, delivered out of prison. So um, it's, it really is echoing that same kind of thing. And the apostles, of course, they go right back to what they were doing, back to the temple, back to, to preach and teach once again. So, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, as uh, Pete points out, kind of a contra shelter in place over and over again. Right. They refused to be sheltered in place, but they broke out of their prison. Um, other uh, questions or comments on this story, and then I want to dig into the, the speech that comes after it. So this is kind of the inciting incident here, and we've seen this over and over in Acts, that you have, there's an incident, whether it be a healing, whether it be, um, like in this case, breaking out of prison, and then you get a speech following it. And so we're about to, to get another great speech from the apostles here. But before I do, any questions or comments on that uh, miraculous prison break by the apostles? Okay, so then let's get after um, these next, the, the next section here, starting with verse 27. 
So, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. All right. So um, just another powerful proclamation. And um, do you notice any similarities with this speech from other ones that we've heard previously in Acts? Are there any particular lines or phrasing that you hear, things that we've heard earlier in, in Acts chapter three or four. Yeah, Anne. Is that you, you guys are the ones who- Can you say it again? I just had to unmute you, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, it just, the, he, he definitely stresses each time that, um, that it was, it was the, like the people he talk, he's talking to are the ones who put him to death. Right. <clears throat> yeah, he's he does not mince any words about that. He says, "You guys did this. You're you're responsible for this." Um, while at the same time recognizing we all have complicity in it, but it's like you you specifically were responsible. Good. Other things that you noticed that uh, have come up um, before. If if you have anything, you can type it or just unmute yourself to say it. You notice um, we've also seen again and again, this way of putting it, you know, you, you, you uh, did this, but God raised him, right? And it really accents the fact that Jesus in his resurrection is being vindicated by God the Father. In other words, People had said that he was unjust, that you know that he was guilty of blasphemy, etc. Um, but through his resurrection, God the Father is saying, "Nope, he was right all along. Should have listened to him. He's back." Um, but which I think is part of why Jesus has to say on Easter morning, "Do not be afraid. Um, you need not fear." Um, so yeah, the Emery's uh, point out chapter four, verse nineteen. Um, you have Peter and John answer them, whether it's right in the sight of God and, um, to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. So that really gets at, um, well, the, the next line, the big thing that Peter's going to say there, and say more about that in a minute, about uh, obeying God rather than men. Um, but so number four on, on your handout, let's see. So many things to around so much easier just to stand in front of you guys in a room and do this I'm learning all these new skills here that I'm not sure I wanted to learn but there it is um, so number four on your handout the vindicated Lord requires single-hearted loyalty okay so um, first of all the fact that um, he he is the vindicated Lord as I say he's the one who um, God has raised from the dead um, and then the you know, that Jesus is that Lord. Um, when Peter says we must obey God rather than men, uh, you notice like we had with last week where there was kind of a subtle uh, reference to the divinity of the Holy Spirit. 
here you have a, a similarly kind of subtle reference to the divinity of Christ because their loyalty again and again is to Jesus. We see that. But then Peter's saying we must obey God rather than men. The implication is Jesus is equal with God. So that in their loyalty, in their obedience to Christ, they are also obeying God the Father. Okay. Um, and to me, the one of the best stories of this, this single-hearted loyalty and obedience to God rather than men is in the book of Daniel. And there's a few stories to this effect, but Daniel 6 um, just does it in such a um, dry, almost droll kind of way. So um, Daniel 6, verses 6 through 10, it says, The high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. I think Governor Whitmer actually has the same punishment for anybody. No, sorry. Um, now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Now, here's the, the best part, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So just in that simple way, Daniel's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. No, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, right? Because he is going to obey God rather than men. Um, and then uh, to me, I use any opportunity to quote from uh, you know, Martin Luther's great Diet of Worms speech. So you guys know this. Since your most serene majesty and your high mightinesses, I don't know what that word is in German, mightinesses, require of me a simple, clear, and direct answer. I will give one, and it is this. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the Council, because it is as clear as noonday that they have fallen into error and even into glaring inconsistency with themselves. If then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture or by cogent reasons, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, and if my judgment is not in this way, brought into subjection to God's word, I neither can nor will retract anything, for it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. All right. So, um, so <laughs> thank you, Anne, for pointing out that satraps spelled backwards is Sparta's. Um, very good. Um, so this, I mean, this is just, gets you know gets the blood boiling we must obey god rather than men here i stand i can do no other daniel you know still continuing to pray this is part and parcel of the people of god through the ages elijah standing up to king ahab moses against pharaoh um uh, ambrose to theodosius and and on and on it goes in during world war ii um i've recommended before this uh in recent weeks this movie that just came out a hidden life about this just simple um, uh, layman standing up uh, against uh, having to swear an oath of loyalty to Hitler. And of course, many um, Christians, known and unknown, um, did that during World War II. So um, yeah, this is, 
This is what we do as the people of God. We must obey God rather than men. But the application of that is what's so sticky to know, okay, so when do we invoke that Acts 529 um, principle, right? When are we being forced or called to disobey um, our God and his commandments and where we need to say, no, I'm not going to do it. This is where it's tricky. And so I want to open it up a little bit to us and say, what are some of your thoughts about the application of this principle? And, you know, are we in one of those moments right now? You, maybe you've seen there's, there's been pastors um, down south, a couple of pastors who were um, arrested because they were still holding services um, in, in contradiction to the, their shelter in place um, rules, orders that had come you know, is this an Acts 529 moment? Or what, if not, where, where do you see it? What are the sorts of things that um, call forth this kind of response from Christians? So I'm going to unmute you guys and just um, go ahead and, and speak up um, as, as you please. Well, the instance of the pastors holding service in defiance of the law strikes me kind of uh, like the putting God to the test um, um, like yeah and and i think what's a what's underneath that is a kind of an idolatry you know where where you we're putting god to the test really says that you have allegiance someplace other than the one true god so well Put it this way, maybe it's a way of wanting to demo, uh, uh, wanting to demonstrate your allegiance to God, um, but in a way that um, runs contrary to what what He would have of, of you in this particular situation. I mean, it could be that there's some other idolatry underneath of it, um, idolatry of you know oneself or whatever. Um, but uh, just putting the best construction on it, maybe it's a misplaced application of the next 529 kind of thing i thought i thought the the one pastor was just trying to have more funerals <laughs> yikes drum drum up the funeral business that's some gallows humor there um so uh yeah go ahead mace didn't martin luther himself like also he he what was it the peasant revolution where he supported the government in kind of harshly suppressing that you know, and so, and where many of his contemporaries thought he should have been supportive of the revolution, so right. he himself was somewhat contradictory on when he applied this and when he didn't. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if contradictory is the right word, but he was he was definitely nuanced in his application of it. And as you say, within the in the fifteen twenties, there was the peasant revolt, uh, which um, came about in part to. Um, uh, in, in part to fight back against the governing authorities. And in a way, um, they were saying, hey, this is, isn't this what we, we have? Isn't this what it means for us um, to be free as we are not going to submit to the governing authorities? And Luther would say, no, you, you still submit, submit to the authorities um, in a way they cannot steal your, your spiritual freedom, but an, unless and until you are being forced, um, you know, being coerced, to um, break God's commandment, to swear an oath of loyalty. Thus, you know, with the example I gave with um, Franz Jagerstadter, the um, character in 
uh, a hidden life. He was being forced to swear an oath of loyalty. He wasn't going to do that, right? Um, okay, I got a couple of, of comments here. Um, the Emery's ask, um, are we aware that religious organizations have been exempted from penalty and mission? Would it be wrong to meet if we had been given um, exception on religious grounds? So that's, and this is where, um, and I'm still not totally clear on this either. So Governor Whitmer did provide an exemption from the um, legal ramifications for um, uh, religious bodies, for churches and other faith groups. And so, I mean, it's it kind of complicated matters further. Um, what I mean, in that case, it's kind of like, you know, even to, to gather, at least maybe uh, Louisiana did not have that exemption. I'm not sure where the, the uh, pastor was arrested. Um, but I don't know if there's, if that still is subject to the 50 person number or what. So there's a lot of unclarity on that. But um, Tom Dunn says, pray always for discernment. There's no law against those things that are good. That's right. Other comments, reflections on just the application of this and other examples you could think of, of, you know, when is a proper time to invoke the Acts 529 principle? Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Ann. Uh, especially, am I, what I, am, am I, okay. <laughs> um, especially as it pertains to the body of Christ. I mean, within there, I mean, I know that there are some of us who want, I and mean, we all want to get together. Um, and then um, there are others who say, you know, even though we've been given this exemption, we still shouldn't do it. And um, I think that it's, it's good for us. I mean, for everyone's health, not to, not to do so, not to meet. Um, but that's, I mean, I think it's tricky because you have the order to continue meeting in Hebrews. Um, you know what right. I'm talking about? Yeah, exactly. So that's where if there were a kind of um, forced, a, a forced refusal for Christians to, to gather together, and, you know, Christians may, may not gather together, especially long-term. I mean, I think we all kind of recognize we are in a season, and who knows how long it's going to go, right, where this is kind of what, what has to happen for the greater good of our, of our neighbors. Um, where if it were to be, um, if, it, if it were to be extended indefinitely, and more to the point, made with specific reference to Christians, that's where I think it would get more like, okay, we need to push back on this. Well, right, and it's not it's not for the sake of uh, keeping religious groups from meeting or it's Christians in particular. It's for the sake of saving lives. And if we are also on, if we're also for our neighbor, then you know that that lines up right. with what we want to do. Right. So I mean, this is kind of what I was trying to get at with uh, my inklings this week. We're speaking of it in terms of a fast. And why, you know, why are we doing this? Why are we fasting from, from gathering together? And even now from uh, the Lord's Supper, which really um, was distressing to me. Um, but we're even recognizing that, okay, perhaps um, under the letter of the law, we might be able to, to do this. Uh, we're doing it out of love for our neighbors, um, recognizing we don't ourselves want to be, you know, transmitting this. We don't want to be the source of it um, continuing to, 
to spread in the community, et cetera. Um, and also for the sake of, of witness, providing a good witness, because um, right or wrong, um, the world is going to interpret it in a, a particular way. Now, that's always going to be the case, and we don't, uh, we don't live according to the, the fear of men. But um, the truth of the matter is, we, you know, this is not only good for our own health, but it's good for the health of our neighbors, and in so doing, it shows love. I, I just, as I've seen the pastors um, really trying to flout this um, down south, to me, that does not convey love for the neighbor or uh, a faithful Christian witness. It more just comes off as, speaking as a pastor, it comes off to me as braggadocio and trying to um, get attention. And that is not love love for the neighbor. So um, a couple of uh, things in the chat here. Um, Sam Emery is wondering, what if obeying man's wisdom um, could lead to something that would go against God? So, um, so yeah, I mean, the, we, we always wanted to test man's wisdom um, against God's wisdom. There's no question. And um, can man's wisdom lead to going against God? Yeah, you better believe it. First Corinthians 1, you know, the foolishness of the cross is, uh, the, you know, the cross is foolishness um, to the Gentiles. So that can absolutely be the case. Um, Pete Woodward points out, thank you, Pete, every teenager's dream, a legal reason compelling people to stay at home from church. That's what you say, but look, Pete, we have several teenagers who are voluntarily uh, <laughs> participating in this Bible study right now. So kudos to you guys. Um, okay, Matt adds, I'm at the point where the, the saving lives issue could involve more um, than just the virus. People without food could be a problem too. Could we be creating a cure worse than the disease? That I mean, honestly, this is the real, uh, this is, I'm sure, why our nation's leaders are staying up at night and why we need to be in fervent prayer for them. Because, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of the economy collapsing, people saying this could be worse than the Great Depression. So, um, yeah, there is not uh, um, an, an easy black and white answer for this by any means. And I've been thinking about this, too, just as a side note. As a church, how can we, Matt mentions food in particular, um, how could we help to um, alleviate that somewhat? Two ideas that I've thought of and things that had come to mind even before this. One would be setting up a free little food pantry, like we have the little lending library, and it's also a thing to do a, a free food pantry and, you know, put stuff in, we've already got some toilet paper in the book one. Um, so we can um, make a, a bigger one of those and put non-perishables in there, including TP and hand sanitizer and so forth, um, that people could just come and pick up. And also, um, what about starting a garden? What about starting a, um, a community garden where, okay, people can go, we can raise some food um, to give away. You know, you can still keep social distancing or whatever. I don't know. I, I myself... I'm not even good enough at starting our own family garden, but um, <laughs> the, just some, some ideas. Um, Chip says, what if the pantry causes germs to spread? Well, again, you know, you've got to you, we disinfect it. It's just like getting stuff from the grocery store, right? Like there's still practices that you can do. Um, so, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. With all this stuff, like everywhere you turn, there's another reason to be anxious or fearful. So we're trying to got to eat, exactly. So, uh, and, and we got to be creative, I think, in, in the midst of this. So that was Kate. Now, well, Kate, I think is a fair point. But Kate, if you want to make Oreos and share them with neighbors, I think you do that. You got to do that. 
Kate May makes a mean homemade Oreo. So, all right. So I want, I want to uh, continue on here. So there's, there's that one side of it of we must obey God rather than men. And I think we all just have to admit this is not nearly as easy in practice as it sounds just in theory, like, yeah, let's do it. But what does that look like? And that's what we just need to be prayerful and takes, it takes discernment. Um, but then um, to go on, just as you know, a flip side of that, number five on your handout, share the screen again. Um, Christians are nevertheless called upon to submit to the ruling authorities when they're not directly compromising our confession. Just like on the flip side, this isn't always clear, but we have that Romans 13 um, injunction. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And it's often pointed out in conjunction with this, anybody who would, who would want to say, yeah, but they don't know what it's like in the 21st century or whatever. Paul was writing this uh, under the reign of Emperor Nero just a notorious um, Christian hater, the one who ultimately, um, our tradition has it, uh, was responsible for Paul's own martyrdom. So Paul is not Pollyanna-ish about this. He doesn't just have some you know, easygoing idea about what it means to submit to the governing authorities. Um, he knows that you do this to the extent that you can, and that when you can't, it's probably going to cost you. It may even cost you your life. And within our uh, Lutheran confessions, the Augsburg Confession, um, Article 16, says the Lutheran princes, remember it was a church and state kind of thing when they wrote this, condemn also those who do not place evangelical perfection in the fear of God and in faith, but in forsaken civil offices, for the gospel teaches an eternal righteousness of the heart. Meanwhile, it does not destroy the state or the family, but very much requires that they be preserved as ordinances of God and that charity be practiced in such ordinances. Therefore, Christians are necessarily bound to obey their own magistrates and laws, save only when commanded to sin, for then they ought to obey God rather than men. Acts 5.29. Okay. So when you're commanded to sin, no, you say, I'm not going to do that. Um, but by and large, we submit to the governing authorities to the extent that we are able, our conscience allows. Mm -hmm. All right. Other questions or comments there before I've got a few more thoughts. We're going to wrap up here shortly. Um, okay. Um, sorry, Ann, I just broke something. Over. No, just kidding. Um, okay. Um, going on then, verses, verses 33 to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. The authorities wanted to kill the apostles. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. 
So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. All right. So um, number six on your handout, Gamaliel evinces the taste and see approach to apologetics. That's such a fascinating little um, tidbit here with Gamaliel, where he says, wait, he pumps the brakes on their opposition and says, not so fast here. Let's see what becomes of this. As a side note, we find out later in Acts, Acts chapter 22, that Gamaliel was Paul's mentor, Saul, later Paul, his, his mentor. And so it also shows us that um, it wasn't everybody was saying the same thing necessarily among the religious authorities at that time. But uh, I find it um, interesting that Gamaliel, in his approach, um, shows what I call a kind of taste and see approach to apologetics. That is to say, to encourage others like, hey, you know, uh, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to the faith, maybe you just try um, reading God's word. Try uh, attending worship, or, you know, in this case, it's super easy. You don't have to get out of your pajamas. You can watch it from your, your home. See about this. Um, you have to kind of experience it in a way, and if it's not of God, then so be it. But, you know, I think of Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And uh, Yaroslav Pelikan, a uh, historian of the early church, says that Gamaliel's gambit constituted an appeal to the workings of the divine economy in human history as a form of revelation. That's a mouthful there. An appeal to the workings of the divine economy in human history as a form of revelation. In other words, what he's saying is that by what you see um, in, uh, in history, the events that are unfolding become a, um, another way to see God's work. Now, this is a real dicey thing, I think, because a slippery slope sort of thing, because people can say, well, see, uh, you know, you hear this nowadays, well, um, you're going to be on the right side of history. As Christians, we believe that ultimately the church will be on the right side of history. But the way that people use that is in a way that I think is really dangerous. You hear it um, from many uh, progressive people in our, our age, like, well, you just need to go along and get along um, so that you can show that you are, you know, you don't want to be on the, the wrong side of history. It's like, well, wait a second here. So um, I think there's some danger in this approach, but um, it can also have a, a place as well. Um, Matt comments, I think being in subjection, as Paul says, would require us to be prepared to be judged by God and authority on earth, always putting God first and being prepared for the consequences. Exactly. And this is what you see from the apostles here. They're, they don't run from what um, faces them, but in fact, they stand it down. And then we find they even rejoice in it. They are grateful for the opportunity to suffer for the sake of Christ. Um, this is one of the things that just continually humbles, humbles me in reading um, the examples of, of the apostles in Acts and then elsewhere in the scriptures. So number seven on your handout, in the upside down world of the kingdom, suffering is a source of joy. You know, they, they, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. 
This is what Jesus had said in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then James says, um, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So we're all rejoicing right now, right? This is, this is a, what, what a time to be alive. What a time uh, to, to be able to, to suffer. Now, um, I think it's a, a lot easier said than done. But the point bears repeating that through this time, God is forging our character and he's strengthening our faith. He is bolstering us, building us up as God's people. And so, yeah, this is, this is a struggle. This is a difficulty. And I, I think in all the ways where it does take discernment and, and uh, being prayerful, we're being forced back to where we should be, which is the throne of God. And so, I don't know, I really wonder if a few years down the road, if we're not going to look back on this and say, you know what, that was hard, but what an incredible experience it was for us, how we grew as Christians, how we grew as, as the church. Anne asks, are we suffering for the sake of Christ right now? And, you know, this is, uh, yeah, I think it is a good question. I mean, um, arguably, I would say that we fall more under the James one than the, the Jesus one. So Jesus says, when you suffer for the sake of my name, right? And James says, rejoice when in various kinds of tribulations. I would say that we are more in a James situation than the Jesus one. In other words, um, we're not suffering for the sake of Christ's name per se right now, right? We're just going through a difficult time, a trying time. Um, it may come to a place where, um, and I mean, I think some people have already pointed out that Christians may well end up being scapegoated in some ways for this, um, and, and that persecution might come as a consequence of this whole pandemic, um, in which case it will be more directly suffering for the sake of the name. I think right now it's more, we're more in that place of just general unease and inconvenience, a trial and a tribulation, um, and that we count that for joy as joy because it's building up endurance in us. Um, Kate says, it seems that almost every verse that we have studied in church can connect to this virus and help us through it. Thank you, Kate. Yeah, I agree. I hope so. I mean, uh, the scriptures are, are timeless in their application. And so um, that, that absolutely ought to, ought to be the case, but good questions, good thoughts. I'm going to leave you with this um, way to be a confirmand. That's right. Um, I want to leave you with, with one last um, thought on, on the handout there, um, which is to be a witnesses of Jesus play, follow the leader. And uh, this is an allusion back to, if you noticed in verse 31, um, Peter uses an interesting word there. He says, God exalted him, exalted Jesus at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things. So Jesus is our savior. Jesus is our redeemer. And he's also our leader. I think of that um, hymn. It's a more of a modern hymn. Christ be my leader by night as by day. He is the, the leader that we follow by night and by day. And uh, one biblical scholar named Kevin Rowe says to be a witness is to embody the cruciform pattern that culminates in resurrection. By that he means we, to be a witness means that um, one of the ways that we witness is by suffering, is by struggling. 
and in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our trials and tribulations, still testifying um, to the goodness of God and to the faithfulness of God through his son, Jesus. And so we embody that cruciform pattern. And boy, I know we've said it a lot and others have pointed out, what a week for us to be going through this right now. And what a season for this to be during Lent and now for it to be Holy Week. Um, but as I said in the sermon today, you know, it's a season of scattering when we've been scattered. But those have many times been um, seasons for the, the church to grow and for the gospel to get out. And you know what? Right now, it's really easy, be, you know, thanks to our technological means. You guys know how I try to be a Luddite unsuccessfully nowadays, it turns out. Um, but through our technological means to be spreading, to be um, inviting people into to hearing the good news. I mean, this next week with um, not only Easter, but Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, such opportunities to say, hey, taste and see, hear about this message of hope. We need good news. I saw that John Krasinski, the guy who played Jim Halpert on The Office, he even started a, a thing online this week. He calls it the, I think, what does he call it? Sharing good news, I think is what he's calling it, SGN. Like people need good news. They are ripe for good news and a message of hope. So Christians, let's, let's share that and not share our germs or our microbes, but instead share the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Yep. So uh, thank you guys for being with us today for your great um, input and insights as always. And um, stay tuned. There's going to be a lot more uh, to come this week. Of course, next Sunday, um, Easter Sunday, we won't have um, Bible study. But oh, also last thought in about 20 minutes at noon, I encourage you guys, this is totally nerdy. And so it's totally right up my alley, right? I'm encouraging us, go outside, take your palms, do a procession around your house, up and down your street, around your block, sing all glory, laud and honor, take a selfie, you selfie people out there and, uh, you know, tag, tag the church and, uh, or send me an email of it and I'll share it with everybody um, later this week. But uh, just another way that we can be connected and live in solidarity. So thank you guys. God bless you. And uh, we'll, we'll see you soon. Take care. Okay.